morning. The weather's changing, cooling out of that 110 degree temp, moving into. All right, Romans 13, if you will, and we'll get started this morning. Romans 13. And we will, uh, we're going to go back in here and, and uh, we'll just start reading here in verse 11. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the night, uh, I'm sorry, as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And again, we're here in the second aspect, second issue of our reasonable service in regards to society. And again, last time we got through one verse. Today we're going to get through one verse. All right, so hold on to your seatbelts because here we go, right? But And the reason is, is really what Paul is, is stressing out here, what Paul is getting at here. And uh, he verse 11, and that, and again, it, this connects with verse 9 for this. So you've got this and that. And these two aspects here about our relationship with society. First, we are to owe no man anything but to love him. And the issue is, is the issue of love. Uh, verse 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So if love is fulfilling the law, then we don't need the law. We need love. Okay. And again, that love there is uh, not what you see in the world out there. If you love me, if you do what I want you to do, then I'll love you back. And that condition, it's rather that issue of that value and esteeming one another better than themselves. And that issue of having God's viewpoint about the na your neighbor. Then in verse 11, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than we believed. And we, we went through that. We're to recognize the time that we live in. The issue of urgency that awake, it's high time, that issue where he makes that reference at the end of verse 12 there, armor of light. Who wears the armor? The soldier does. The soldier's always ready, leaves on the, the breastplate, leaves on the belt, leaves on the shoes, doesn't undress completely, is ready to go to battle, and just can then go in and take up the shield, the helmet, and the sword and move on. And that issue of knowing, we know something about time. Time is valuable. Uh, it's short, but it, Paul tells us there in Ephesians 5 to redeem the time. Re buy it back. Rescue it from the adversary. The adversary is using time to push forward his agenda, his policy, his program. Paul says, bring it back. Rescue it. Use it for us. Let's use it for, for our sake and that issue there at the end of verse 11 we kind of ended here last time about the issue of our salvation is nearer than when we believed that is more than a reference to the rapture 
uh, what we call the rapture, the day of redemption, the, our gathering together. That's more than that. There's actually a thing over in Timothy where he talks about our salvation in, in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So it's a, hey, our time, we know something about time, and we need to understand that. And when we do that, then there's a sense of urgency that we're to have in our relationships, in our interacting with our neighbor, with society. And that's really where verse 12 comes in. Notice how that the, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Now, now is our salvation uh, nearer than when we believed, and the day at, at hand, they're connected. That, that day of Christ, Paul calls it, talking again about our the ending of the dispensation of grace, our catching, our gathering together, our presentation to the Father, the judgment seat, the presentation to the Father, and then the placement into the heavenly places. All of that, and, and we've talked about that for years, and it's something that you need to understand, and you need to know, and you need to comprehend, because in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you're not going to have a chance to say, hang on, wait a minute, <laughs> you know. All of this stuff you leave behind, what, what you build into your inner man is what you're going to take with you. So we're to build some th stuff there. We have to understand this issue in verse 12 now, really this whole section, from a dispensational viewpoint. Because when Paul says that the night is far spent, that's not just saying the night's almost over, you know, it's all... There's something very dispensational that he's making a reference to that we have to know. And that is, is we need to understand where we're at in time, in human history. We need to understand that, hey, the night is far spent, but what? The day is at hand. So, in other words, today, in the age of grace, we are not in the night. We're in the what? In the day. We're not of the darkness, we're in the light. And if we understand, and, and again, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but it's, it's just, it's imperative here, it's critical that we have an understanding of where we're at in time in the scripture. And when we understand that, we then have a sense of urgency and a sense of let's take the opportunity, advantages of the opportunity that God has extended to Humanity. Come back over to Romans chapter 2. So he, there's some things in Romans, we're in Romans 13, that Paul is wanting us to bring up in our understanding, in our memory, <laughs> thus we have notes, in our thinking about things, and especially in regard to time. Notice Romans 2. Now in Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, we have the issue of our justification, our salvation, from the debt and penalty of sin and hell and, and so forth, and the propitiation. And, and, and in Romans 1 and 2 and 3, and really all of the book of Romans, it's literally a court case. We're in a courtroom, and Paul's prosecuting the case for the, the Godhead, really, the, the, and so forth. And he, so in chapter 1, you start in verse 18, and he deals with the heathen. Here's what the world thinks. You want to know how the world thinks? You don't have to go and take a, a psychology class. Just read Romans 1. Here it is. Actually, you go read the Kings. First and second Kings. For, 
First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, is man's viewpoint on on that historical time. Chronicles is God's viewpoint. That's why in Chronicles he calls Saul a beast, but in Kings in Samuel he's a great guy. He's a wonderful man. No, he's a beast. Is that why you got God's viewpoint of the same history versus man? So you go read Samuel and Kings, and you get human the psychology the psychology. The psychology of man, you get it. You don't need to go spend, well, you can spend it if you want, but, you know, you don't need to. That's my point. Look at verse, in chapter 2 of Romans, he, it's in two sections, the first 16 verses. He deals with the people who live a moral life, but they're heathen, they're unsaved. And we know, you know people like that. I, when we were growing up in Chicago, there, two doors down, we had a, a little old lady that uh, lived there, and, and uh, my mom and dad were like, go cut her grass. I'm like, okay. Now, you have to understand, in Chicago, the front yard was these three pews about that size in Chicago, okay? It's, it's not a lot. So we're like, okay, so we would walk our front yard, our neighbor's yard, and then Mrs. Jenkins' yard because it was literally take 20 minutes to do back. So go do that. Okay, well, Ms. Jenkins, what are you guys doing? You know, well, Mom said cut your grass. Oh, okay, thank you. Then she comes back out and gives us a nickel for uh, ice cream. Well, this is 1980, <laughs> 81, 82. Ice cream was a quarter, but we couldn't tell her that because that's rude and we're, you don't be rude. So we would say thank you. And so she'd give a nickel to me and a nickel to my brother, you know, Go get your ice cream. Well, you couldn't do that down at the grocery little at the store at the end of the street. But what did you do? That had a point. Oh, she was a very moral lady, nice lady. She never committed a horrendous crime in her life, but she rejected the gospel. That's who he's talking to here in the first 16 verses. That's why he'll say, oh, man, there in verse 1, therefore thou art an excusable O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest do, doest the same thing. See, I don't do that, so you're wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Now look at verse 4. This is what I'm after. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Notice that. How is God dealing with humanity? There's a richness of his what? Of his goodness. There's a forbearance. There is a long-suffering. <laughs> you see, why is God, for, by the way, forbear to put up with your offense, to put up with it? Why You know, he has a right to respond instantly to the uh, offense of his righteousness. He has that right to nail you. But he didn't do that, yet he's chose to do what? Forbear. He's chose to be long-suffering. He's chose to put on display the riches of his goodness. Come over to chapter 9 of Romans. So we already understand that there is something that God is doing today that he wasn't doing in the past. 
What's he doing? What did he do in the past? When Israel got out of line, when Israel reject, didn't obey the word of God, what did God usually do to them? Spanked them. Went and got them. You know, if, if you see famine in Israel's history, that means that they've rejected, they're not following the word of God because that was one of the curses, Deuteronomy 15. That was one of the conditions of the agreement. So when things were going bad for Israel, now for you and I, you know why things go bad? You made a dumb decision. You live in a sin-cursed world, Romans 8, Galatians 6, and or hopefully you're living for him, and it just is costing you, okay? But look at Romans 9. Again, the passage here, Romans 9, verse 22, a passage that we spent a lot of time going through because it's dispensational in nature as in how God is dealing with the nation of Israel today. Well, notice, verse 22, what if God, notice, willing to show his wrath. Was God willing to show his wrath? Yes. It was time. Acts 7, we'll see it when we get over there in just a minute. Stephen sees him standing prophetically. That's to come back and to, and to judge and to plead for Israel. But he says he sees him standing and the glory. And that glory, there's the angelic realm, the armies of heaven ready to come back. He's willing to show his wrath and to make his power known. So God is willing to do what? To show his wrath and to make his power known. Endured. Uh-oh, what happened here? God chose something to do something different here. Endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. God was... God one day will execute his wrath and make his power known, but until that day, he's chosen to show his, his goodness, his long-suffering, his forbearance. He's wanting to demonstrate to humanity his, who he is, his attributes. And the fact is, is that he is able to suffer long. Verse 23 and that he might make known, notice, the riches of his glory. See that? He can show his wrath, but right now what's he wanting to make known? The riches of his glory on who now? The vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. You see, he made a choice to look at humanity not as vessels of wrath, which is where humanity was, Acts 7, and he says, you know what they are now? They're vessels of mercy. Did you deserve it? No, you deserve wrath. But what's he doing? He's not imputing their trespasses. and sin. He's reconciling. He's doing something different here. Come over to chapter 11. So when we talk about the night is far spent and the day is at hand, there's some things that Paul's already gone through with us in Romans about this issue of timing and daytime and night. And looking at this, listen, you've got to look at this and understand that the, we lit. Paul never anticipated the age of grace going out another 2,000 plus years. Now, praise the Lord, thank God that it did. But if you think about the timing, here's Stephen, Acts 7. Okay? Oh, boy, do I do this. Yeah, do it, do it, do it, do it. Okay, 
You got Acts 7, right? Well, all right, let's look at 11, 11, 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? That they there is Israel, verse 7. God forbid. So Israel stumbled, right? They stumbled over that rock of offense. They stumble over the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't fall in his earthly ministry, okay? They don't fall at Calvary. Daniel chapter number 9, and, the, and, the, and when he gets down there, and he talks about the 69 weeks, and they comes to here and everything, and then the Messiah is cut off, and then it's time to go on. That's where they're at. They stumbled, but they don't fall. You understand what that is. If you're anywhere been ever been, uh, black ice or slippery slope, and you, you don't even have to have ice. You can just go be out hiking and lose your footing and slide down the hill. You know what? It, you stumbled, but you don't fall. You catch yourself. Keep reading. But rather through their what? Their fall. So we have a fall. Now we have a fall. We have a stumble. The Lord looks there and he says, Lord, my Lord said to his Lord, Lord, let me dung around this tree another year. And we have an extension of, of a year here that was added to the calendar. It's not in Daniel 9. It's nowhere in prop. The Lord did it. Give me another year with them. So from Acts chapter number 2, or 1, I guess, to 7, 8-ish, we have a year. At the end of that year, what's that verse say? They fall. Now think about this. They killed John the Baptist. He's a picture of the Father. Sent, the Father sent him. They kill the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the Son. And in the stoning of Stephen, there's the Holy Spirit that they've killed. They've, they bumped off the Godhead in picture and type. Where is Israel spiritually at the end of Acts 7? They're uncircumcised in hearts and ears. Okay? They stumble, but they don't fall. But rather, through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles, and to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them, so they're going to fall. They fall in Acts 7. Now there's going to be a diminishing. By the way, what happened in Acts 9? We have Paul on the road to Damascus, don't we? And we have a new entity called the body, the dispensation of grace, up and running. There's a diminishing of Israel now. Verse 15, for if the casting away, when you cast away something, what do you do? You take it out in the black barrel and you dump it in there to go to the dump. You get rid of it. It's useless. It's interesting. Okay? The casting away of them be the reconciling of the world. Why did he have to, why did he do, why does he do this? So he can do what now with the world? He can go reconcile the world. Why? Because back in the Old Testament, the only way for the world to be reconciled was to go through the nation of Israel, the seed of Abraham. Genesis 12, and your seed will be the blessing to the families of the earth. So the only way for the Gentile world to be blessed, to be saved, to be what, everything, was to go through the nation of Israel. But where was Israel? <laughs> They're heathen. They're uncircumcised in hearts and ears, Acts 7, 50 says. 
So when you come into this, Paul has already begun to say, hey, look, guys, by the way, that's the night. Where are we? We're in the day. My Hulk Avengers isn't working too good anymore. Have to get the kids to get me another one. Now, come back to chapter 13. So when he talks here about this, Romans 13, verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. There's something different going on today. But now, time passed. There's something new going on today. The issue of God's grace that he never did before. So what did he do? He hit... I don't have a different color. He hit the pause button, didn't he? Because when Stephen looks up and he sees the Lord standing. Oh, man, we got to redo that. I'm ahead of myself, big time. Come back to Acts 7. Acts 7. Just get Acts 2, get Acts 7. We'll do it now, and then we'll throw the notes out and keep moving. Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 2, you have Peter on the day of Pentecost, Verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. The day of Pentecost is fulfilled. Now, they've got today, I know everybody, Pentecost and everything, it's just pictures, it's just ceremony. The fulfillment of Passover is Calvary. The fulfillment of Pentecost is done. Those don't need to be fulfilled anymore, they're done. Day of Atonement, Day of Trumpets, Feast of Tabernacles, all that's coming. Four of the seven feasts are fulfilled, never to be touched again. Three still coming. That's the ages to come out there. Acts chapter 7. Peter stands up and he's talking, verse 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Who's he talking to? Israel. He ain't talking to a Gentile. Now, well, there might be a Gentile in the audience. Yeah, but that, Peter don't care. <laughs> he's talking to the Jews. That's who he's supposed to talk to. Him be, verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken by wicked hands of crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden up. Calvary was not a good thing for the Jews. They, by wicked hands, they crucified him. Verse 34, for David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Now the quote is out of Psalms 110. So when you go back to Psalms 110, you don't have to do that. I'll read it here for you. You can, obviously. Psalms 110, verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. But Peter changes that to foes. Because a foe is worse than an enemy. Go back to Acts 2. A foe, you know, enemies can take a break and sit back and not actively. Russia is our enemy. But Russia is not attacking the United States. 
But a foe is someone who's actively attacking, who's actively being aggressive towards you. So when you come back to Acts, 7, Acts 2, he says, you're going to sit until I make thy foes thy footstool. Sit. So what's the Lord doing here? He's sitting. Right? He's sitting until it's time. Time. Now come over to Acts 7. Just run over here to Acts 7. My Lord said to your Lord, sit until I make your, en your enemies. No, your foes, your footstool. And we understand what a footstool is, something you stand on. It's not an ottoman, you know, where you kick your feet up. <laughs> a footstool. Growing up in my house, my mom would say, go get the footstool. And she meant the little two-step ladder to get up. You stand on it. Okay? Acts 7, you've got Stephen, verse 51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. And all the people loved him and hugged on him. No, what did he just call them? He just called them unheathen. Uncircumcised to a Jew is a bad name. Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. I mean, they literally took him out there and chewed on the guy. I mean, they're gnashing on him. They're on him. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, what? So now he sees the Lord, he sees him, what? Standing. Well, the prophetic scriptures, you go back into Isaiah, the Lord stands to come and pour out his wrath. The Lord stands to come and judge Israel, plead for Israel. Do, he, he was sitting. Now he's standing. The foes are the footstool now. So what's he, what's he to do? He's coming back to pour out wrath. That's why Stephen will say what he says. Verse 56, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Uh, I'm sorry, in verse 55, he looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus. He you know what he does? He looks up, he sees the glory of God. Here's the angels, the angelic army, Michael, they're ready to come back, and it's time to get it, get it on. Pour out the wrath. It's time. That's why Stephen will say in verse 59, they stoned Stephen, called upon, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Now, why would he say that? Because what did he just see? He saw the unmixed, the indignation of his wrath coming on who? Israel, his people, Stephen's people, his kindred. He says, hey, Man, don't lay this into their charge. But you know what? It's too late, isn't it? Christ said that over here. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They now know what they're doing. And they're boom. Chapter 8, Saul was consenting unto his death. So Saul, later to be Paul, what's, what is he? That's why in Timothy he'll say, I'm a blasphemer. I, I did it ignorantly. In unbelief. I didn't know. 
I mean, could you imagine coming, being Paul, i.e. Saul, and coming to a realization that you, took, you were the major leading reason that your nation fell spiritually? That's why he says, my heart's desire. Man, it's breaking my heart. Because I now know I, call, I help cause this. I help move it along. Because what's he doing? He's out there wreaking havoc. Ooh, man, what a, you're talking about a sobering moment. Come back to Romans 13. So where are we? The night is far spent. The day is at hand. You see, folks, what do we know? He hit the pause button, didn't he? He paused his wrath, and one day over here, the church will be called out. We'll meet the Lord. We'll be presented to the Father. Whoops, missed an H. Sorry. The 70th week, we call it the tribulation, will come. The Lord Jesus Christ will come back in his second coming. This is seven years. He'll set up the kingdom, the thousand-year reign. Satan will be bound for a thousand years, and he'll be let loose. We'll have a little Elijah party out in the back 40. Then we have the great white throne judgment, and then we have the new. And this is the issue of to come. He paused it. One day, he's going to hit play. We don't know when that day is. Okay? What do we know? The night is far spent. The day is at hand. There should be a sense of urgency. Because he can hit play any time. We don't know when it is. The imminency issue. Well, you're going to see this, you're going to see that. You're going to see this. They had the, the red moon a couple years ago. Oh, pff, boy, Christianity world went nuts. The red moon, it's here. You know, No, it's not. You know why? Because the rapture hadn't happened yet. And before the red moon can happen, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's got to happen. But if you don't dispensationally study it out, put it on the timeline where it goes, what's going to happen? Chaos, trouble. Oh, my goodness. Now you're in turmoil because you don't know where you are. But what do we know? Knowing the time. Boy, great peace, isn't it? How many of you have watched the stock market the last couple weeks? Shame on you. You should never watch the stock market. Shame, 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 shame. I made the mistake. I hit the wrong app on my phone, and I got our, bro- our uh, investment, our 401K account, and I just went, oh, <laughs> get out of there quick, you know. Well, and I don't, we don't have, I have nothing. I mean, just a little bit. And it's like, what, what do you, everything that you leave, that you have right now, physical possession, you're going to leave it. What's inside you, who you are in Christ, the doctrine is what's going with you. Boy, what a calming thing to know the time. To know that, hey, we're not over here. You know, you see all that stuff happening in the world, and I and uh, you get it. Well, is this the fulfillment of prophecy? No. Why? Because we're here. By the way, we're in the day. This is night. This is day. This is night. 
and there's day. The Lord said, come over to John. John 9, John chapter 9, verse 4. I must work the works of him that sent me. Well, so the Lord's speaking. Who sent him? The Father did. He's got the Father's business to do. While it is, what? Day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the, what? Light of the world. Notice it doesn't say day. He says what? Light. And that takes you back to John 1. 1 to 5 there where he's the light and the light and so forth. But when the Lord's in in when the Lord is in, what it's daylight, isn't it? Day. And when he leaves, it's night. Remember the Lord looks at him and says, When the bridegroom is here, everybody's having a good time. When the bridegroom leaves, what are they gonna do? They're gonna have prayer and fasting. I'm here. We're having a good time. When I leave, guys, what are you going to have to do? Pray and fast. Why? Because the light left, and it's going to be nighttime. Now, come back to Romans 13, and let's do something in the, in the passage. When he says, knowing the time, that's what we're talking about. You're to know this. Romans 13, verse 12. The night is far spent. Now, let's think about that. The, the night is far spent. When you spend something, spent, it denotes value. So how are we spending our time? The night is far spent, the day is at hand. How are we spending our time? Time is valuable. Again, what did he tell us? Redeem the time. Let's redeem that. You go back and you buy it out of the pawn shop of the adversary. He's the one controlling time right now. He's the prince, the power of the air. He's in charge right now. And what do we do? We're going to buy it back for our own use. It's far spent. It's depleted though, isn't it? So the night season has running and it's being depleted. Nothing left. Come over to Mark, not Mark 6. I'm sorry. Notice the Lord. Mark 6. In our study in Mark, we spent some time in this, but just catch what he says here, Mark 6, verse 35. Mark 6, you see, the night, you know, <laughs> it's far spent. It had run to its end. It's ready for wrath. It's far spent. Mark 6, 35, and when the day was now far spent... The disciples came. This feeding of the 5,000. The day is far spent. What are we doing? We're coming to the end of the day, aren't we? Literally, in the clock. The sun's going down. The, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is what? Far past. See that issue of spent and far past used there? That's the night, the, night, the time of trouble. The night season. There isn't any of it left. That's why Stephen sees him standing. It's ready for him to do what? Come out and bring night done. 
nail it. That's why over here in the nighttime, in the darkness, nails it. That's why when you look at Daniel, Shadrach, Sheep, Meshach, and Abednego, if I could say their Hebrew names, I'd be saying that because that's their real names. But it's easy, you know, growing up as a kid, you learn the other ones. The, Nebuchadnezzar, big image, bow down. All that's at night. It's a nighttime thing. They said, no, we're not doing it. And where did they go? They went in that fiery furnace. And they're okay because I picture the little flock going through tribulation and so forth. My point is, is the night is what? It is far spent. The night was at its conclusion. It was time for wrath. But he hit the pause button. And now he's doing something completely different. Never, 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 never talked about before. Kept secret since before the foundation of the world. You and I live in here. <laughs> and we have to have a sense of urgency. Come back with me to, to Amos. Just think about this night, Amos. I know it's in the Old Testament. Quick, go to the, go to the content. Look up the page number. <laughs> Amos 5. Amos 5. Amos is given a prophetic view here, picture for the nation of Israel and her future days. And he reaches back in verse 8. Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Oren, and turneth the shadow of death into the morning, and maketh the day dark with night, that calleth for the waters of the sea, and poured them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. So, by the way, that's not a reference to Noah. That's a reference to Genesis 1, 1 and 2, Okay. And what Amos does is Amos pulls you back and says, you remember back there in Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, where we learned about a judgment and pouring out of water? That's what your future is going to look like over there. Now look at verse 18. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is what? darkness and not light is the day of the lord a good thing or a bad thing it's a bad thing now it's his day you go read isaiah 2 3 you can see that come over to zephaniah so you're in amos go obadiah jonah micah nahum habakkuk zephaniah zephaniah 1 you think about this when you think about the night it's not a good thing in Scripture. Zephaniah 1, verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty men shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day. Now watch the description of the day of the Lord. Now what is the day of the Lord, Amos 5? It's a darkness. It's night. Now watch it. It's a day of wrath, a day of trouble. And distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, a day of the trumpet, uh, an alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. That's not a good thing. 
That's a bad deal. Verse 17, and I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. Paul, that's not our day. <laughs> Today we're a vessel of what? Mercy. We're not vessels of wrath. We were vessels of wrath, but he paused that. Today we're vessels of mercy, and we don't know how long that's going to last. Come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. By the way, here is where we would have done all of that <laughs> on the board, okay? If I'd have stayed with my notes. That's okay. 1 Thessalonians 5. It's, so what Paul's getting at is, look, guys, in your relationship with society, you need, to have, you need to love them. God committed his love toward them, and that while they were yet sinners, Christ died for them. You've got to love them the way God loves them. But you've got to have a sense of urgency because we're on pause. And if he hits the play button... Oh, I hit it there. Play. What's going to happen? You're no longer the vessels of mercy. You're now the vessels of wrath, fitted for destruction. Redeem the time. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1, But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Notice what Paul the assumption that, well, not assumption, what Paul has done with the church at Thessalonica. He taught them this. He said, listen, we were right here with Stephen, Acts 7. He pulls Acts 7 out, gives it to him. Says, hey, this is where we are. God paused it. We're here now. We're not in Daniel 9. We're here. We've interrupted that. And he literally lays out that there's an assumption that we need to know something about the times and seasons. What did the Lord do in Acts 1? Remember when they asked him, will you restore again? And he says to them, it's not for you to know the times and seasons. Then he educates them, and then they do know. What are we to know? We're to know this. Why? Because where are we at? We're here in the day. And it's a lot easier to work in the daylight than it is at night. Don't function over here. Oh, by the way, we're not over here. Most of Christianity, they like to drag us over here. I don't know why. I never understood the fascination by Christianity of the book of the Revelation. It is a very dark book. But yet we got to live in it. No, let's, let's live in Romans. Let's live where the light is. See that, Paul? There, we're to know something here. Verse uh, 3. Watch what we're to know. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. See that issue of sudden destruction? There's, an in, there's a boom, boom, boom. Paul will tell Timothy, hey, you know, uh, the grace of God and all them that love his appearing. Now and at the first, how did he appear to Paul? He didn't send him a message ahead of time. He just suddenly appeared. How's he going to end over here? A sudden appearance. We didn't, we have no idea, there's no way on God's green earth 
to identify when the rapture is going to happen. I know they wrote a book. What was that, 1988 or 1984 or something like that? Guess what? We're still here. Actually, somebody said something about the end of September 2022 here or something. Like, what? You know what they're trying to do? Sell books. That's what they're trying to do. But it took time to write the book. So they haven't, they have, it's not something that's done in the morning. They've been planning it out. Anyway, we, look, look, look at verse, oh, verse, where did I stop? Verse 3, verse 4. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. So the day there is a reference to the day of the Lord, not the day here, like what we're talking about. But where are we? We're not in darkness. We're to have some understanding. We're to know, verse 5, ye are all the children of, no, now watch this, light and the children of the day. You see how there's two things there? That's where we're headed in Romans 13, 13, and 14 now, okay? Because there's a children of the day and there's a children of light. And there's a connection here. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Two things are, remember the thing in John 1, and the, and, and the darkness comprehended it not, that issue of spiritual darkness. In Colossians over there, he translated us from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. But then there's a night and darkness. See the two things there. The Lord on the cross, three hours of darkness, and then the sun went out for the same three hours, and a darkness that could be felt. You got two things going on. You got the spiritual realm work, and you got the physical, okay? But what I want you to see here is notice in verse 5, you're the children of light. And the children of day. Now, think about children. Come back to uh, Ephesians 5 on our way back to Romans. Children. By the way, in, uh, get Ephesians 5, but run back real quick to Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. So where are we operating in? The day. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Don't, don't be over there in something you're not. You know what? Darkness. Don't think you're over here and don't think you're back here. Let's be right here where we're at. Put off the works of darkness. Don't, don't get sucked into thinking you're back here, Acts 2 and so forth. Don't get sucked into thinking you're in the book of the Rev, Revelation out here. Let's be right here where you belong. Then he says, and let us put on the armor of light. And again, day and light, they're, those, they're connected. Night and darkness, day and night. Now go over to Ephesians 5, verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness. Now that ought to draw your mind in your mind back to Ephesians 2, the first three verses, four verses there, of who you were. What were you? You're the children of disobedience. You're the children of wrath. 
Then he says, but now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light. So when you think about this, you've got day, you got the armor of light, you got the children of light, you got the children of the day. The children, that word children, it's, a, it's talking about a relationship. Linda and I, we have children. That's a product of a relationship. So there's a relationship with day and light that we are to have. We have a relationship with, we, have, we, have, we possess some core characteristics of day and of light. You with me? Our core characteristic with day is where are we? We're in the day, aren't we? Timing-wise, okay? But then who are we? We're children of light. Now there's our connection with our Lord Jesus Christ. You with? I am positionally a child of the day. But I am also a child of light because I'm going to, we're going to see next time because time is up. In, thir- in, in verse 13 and 14, I am to put on the armor of light. I'm to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So as a child of light, I'm that visible manifestation of Christ. You with me? So positionally, where am I? I'm a child of the day, man. Woo-hoo. Why? Because I'm in the body of Christ. I'm in him, but because I am in him, what am I? I'm light. I've turned, I got the light coming out of me. Okay? All right, I hope so. Come back to 1 Thessalonians 5. One of the things I struggle with from time to time is how to articulate some of this so you grasp. You got two different things going on, and you're of both. But if you don't remember, think about who you're being as who you are positionally, day, and then visible manifestation functionally of the light, then what happens is, is we don't walk honestly, which is what verse 13, 13 is going to tell us. Walk honestly. Romans 13, 13. Walking honest isn't being honest with all men. We, We have other verses that say that. It's walking as who we are in Christ. Who am I? I am light. Why? Because I have his life, his light in me working out through me. All right, that's next week. 1 Thessalonians 5. Go back to verse 5. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. And that's back to Romans 13, verse 12. What are we doing here? The night is far spent. This, is done. this was on the precipice of wrath being poured out. When Stephen looks up and sees the Lord standing, it is time for wrath and war and judgment. And rather, he goes over, and that, that next appearance is the Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, and it is of one of grace and peace, and mercy, and forbearance, and long-suffering. The opposite of what should have happened, happened. He had the right to do that. 
Romans 9, 10, 11, we looked at all that. We operate in the daylight. Why? Because that's where we're at. He pushes play. It's literally going to pick right up where he interrupted it, and it's going to be trouble. Romans 13, verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Casting off the darkness. Don't go live like the unsaved. Ephesians 4, 17, 18, and 19. Don't go live like the Gentiles live. That's not who you are. Who are you? I'm a child of light. I'm a child of the day. I'm a child of the Most High. I'm a saint of the Most High God. That's who I am. So I'm going to go live that way. And I'm going to have his thinking and his mindset run it. We got time. We got five minutes. Colossians 3. By the way, verse 13, 13, let us walk honestly. We'll talk about this next time. Let us put on the armor of light. Let's be who we are in Christ. Let us walk honestly. Let's walk as who we are in Christ. Look at Colossians 3. Again, you have to remember, where are we? We're in Colossians 3. So we're in that book of reproof, correction, doctrine, reproof, correction. So Colossians is the book of correction about the bad doctrine that has infiltrated from the doctrine of Ephesians. Romans, Galatians, okay. Here's Colossians 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ. The if there is not an if of doubt or of question. It's ra- rather, it's, a, it's the if of logic. It's the if. Okay, because you are this in Christ, coming out of the end of chapter 2 there, if you therefore, if you then be risen with Christ, so yes, you are, all right? Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. There you go. That's who we are. Now watch verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. There's that issue in Romans 13, 11 there about the day our salvation is nearer than when we believed. But notice in verse 3, and your life is what? Hid with Christ in God. Who's our life? He is. But where is it right now? It's hid. Right now, it's hid. Well, when I'm a child of the light, what am I manifesting? His life. Now, there's going to be a day when we're all up and we're presented in the heavenly it What is that? Ephesians 2, 7. It is on full display all the time. Right now, it's hid. It takes us letting his life out. One day, it won't be us doing any of it. It's just him doing it. You follow that? And that's why he says, let us walk honestly. Okay? Did that make sense? There's going to be an unveiling. Right now, what are we to do? Romans 13, we're to walk honestly. We're to put on display. Um, The verse... 
The verse that went through my mind was that verse in 1 Corinthians 4. I think, no, 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. See that issue of might be? Right now in time, what's our, jo- what's our goal? It's to be that child of light. Let him, let him out. Let him go. Do we always succeed at that? No, we don't. We get grumpy. We get in our... Okay, now come to Ephesians 2. But what's our, what's, our, what's our laboring together with him about? Letting him out. Let the cat out of the bag. Now watch Ephesians 2, verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Who's doing it out there? He is. Here, we might we need to do this. But in that future day of glory, he's doing it. And that's why Paul in Romans 13 says our salvation is nearer than when we believe. Why? There's an urgent issue. We don't know the end of this. So what do we do? We put a metal to the pedal and go at it. Learn, learn everything we can learn about who we are in Christ and then have that go live out in our life. Manifest the day. Manifest the light. Okay? Now, our goal was today was to be done, but it isn't going to happen, and I already told Ricky that. So we'll get the last, the last two verses next time. I promise. <laughs> I shouldn't say promise, should I? So, anyway, dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we just thank you for who we are in your son and for the life that we can live in you in time right now. We thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen.